Radio. This is Catholics Read on cradio.org.au. Hello and welcome to this episode of Catholics Read. I'm Luke. And I'm Kiara. And I'm Victoria. And this week we are looking at our first Cheston book, The Man Who Was Thursday, which is a fiction novel by G.K. Chesterton. A mystery novel. A mystery novel. A mystery novel. And it's about anarchists. It's a mystery novel about anarchists. I feel like I'm saying that word wrong. Like, I'm putting an emphasis on the... Anarchists. Anarchists. I I don't know. Anarchists Anarchists, yeah. I I feel like I'm saying, like, the word abacus. Anyway. Anyway. (laughs) This book is, like, one of my favourite books. um, Because I just think it's awesome and it's thrilling. And according to this guy on the back of my book named Kingsley... Amos, Amos, is he like a famous guy? Well, he's on the back of a book, so he must be. He must be. He must be a famous guy. Anyway, he says it's the most thrilling book I have ever read. And I don't know if he speaks like that, but that's what he said. And it's thrilling and it's great. Um, So, yeah, it's... uh, It'll take me the whole episode to explain what it's about. Um, Let's think. I I feel like this has been like a minute and a half monologue by Luke, but... (sighs) Okay, I had to explain this to my class actually today, and I explained it as um, what I'd read of it. <laughs> Confession, I haven't finished it, but that's okay. Neither Luke, Luke, have I. Luke knows enough. <laughs> I finished it. <laughs> um, basically, I described what I'd read as um, there was a man called um, Gabriel Syme, and he comes across... Um, this this town, what's it called? It's Saffron London, Saffron Park, Saffron, Saffron Park. Park in London, and it's, it's all in based London. in London. Most of it's based in London, and he is a poet. Um, <laughs> he's a poet and uh, also a detective, and he comes across an anarchist called um, Lucian Gregory. And gosh, I don't even know where I'm going with this. You actually can't. It's, what, what do you what do you mean? You when you, okay, when okay. you open the when you f- open the first page of the book. You were thrown into this very, very brightly coloured and described world. Yes. And it's bewildering. I had no the idea. The whole book is bewildering. Yeah, it's fantastic. No, it's beautifully it's, written. It's absolutely brilliantly written in the sense that some you know how you know how people complain that some authors will like stop the story for like an entire chapter and describe exactly what's going <coughs> on. I feel like we've done that. Ah, um, yeah. GK Chester manages to do it. All at the same time, he's describing the story. So it's like he's like the master of multitasking in literature. He's just like he gives you, and he uses such unusual metaphors and such unusual kind of imagery and description for things that you just it kind of leaves you going, I have no idea what that looks like, but that sounds really cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's so it sounds like a fantasy and... world. It yeah. sounds like a fantasy yeah. world, and it's not. It's London. I'll try. As and, he sees I'll try it. and pick up. Uh, from where Victoria left off. I'm sorry. So, <laughs> I'm sorry, so listeners. There's just too much. So much so... Okay. Okay. There's so a dude this... called Syme. <laughs> Who I was calling guy called Gregory. <laughs> Another guy called Gregory. Okay. So Gregory is an anarchist poet. Um, who is the sole poet of Saffron Park, and Gabriel Syme waltzes in to challenge him to, uh, to an early 20th century rap battle or something. <laughs> um, Without the rapping, just in the poetry. Yeah, yeah. And to which philosophical accuses, argument. To which he accuses uh, Gregory of being not as serious anarchists 
an anarchist. And this infuriates Gregory. And so he meets up with him later and says, I want to prove to you that I'm a serious anarchist. So he takes him to this meeting. No, no. First he waits for him under a, under a street lamp and is like, aha, I was waiting for you. And then, and then he does this, okay, which I okay, found really funny. Yes, I was waiting for someone to draw a sword and start a duel, but instead that, he takes him to a meeting. That happens later. That happens later. Takes oh, him geez. to a pub. Spoiler alert, anybody? Luke is going to... Spoiler alert, Luke's going to give away the whole thing. Um, so, takes him to an anarchist meeting uh, where they're electing uh, a member of the European Anarchist Council. Which, which is ironic in itself. <laughs> just an the anarchists have a council. <laughs> Sorry. They have a governing body. To just plan, saying. To plan from but a central Chest- No, but Cheston does poke fun at that the whole time. The fact that the anarchist, um, you know, has formalities and... Are organised. They they're organised and that sort of thing. He pokes fun at it. And it's not in a very uh, obvious way. You have to... You have to you'll, you'll read it and then you'll... Think and you're like, did he? Did he just? Did he just make a funny? Burn. <laughs> anyway, so it takes him to this meeting where they are electing uh, the position of Thursday, which has been left vacant uh, on the Anarchist Council, which consists of seven members, all of which have names that are days of the week, and the leader of which is Sunday. So to cut a long story short, uh, Gregory thinks that he, no, Gregory, who am I talking about again? I don't. Uh, Sime. Sime, the Syme. detective. Who I was calling Smime in my head for about 40 pages. (laughs) It happens. Yes, Gregory. Gregory. Gregory thinks that he is going to become Thursday and stands up and gives his big speech. But he's just been told that Syme is an undercover detective and he's worried Mm. that Syme will use his speech in a prosecution. So he makes it kind of mild and watered down and super watered down. down. But of course, each other uh, have realised that each other are, you know, trying to to get each other. So Syme is a police detective and Gregory is, of course, an anarchist. But they've both sworn not to tell the relevant uh, authorities that they are who they who they've exposed themselves to be. So they're kind of in this game of chicken, to which Syme gets up and makes a big grand speech about how the world stinks or something and about how everyone hates everything. It's yeah. And typical anarchist stuff. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> gets elected instead to the fury of Gregory as Thursday. And so he meets up with this council, um, and they are planning to bomb the king or the president, the king of France. Yes, uh, there's no president at... Ah, uh, there would have been a president. No, it's president of France. It was France. a republic at the time. Hang yeah. He is... was meeting someone else, some other dignitary. Um, he was meeting you know what, the Tsar of Russia. Tsar yes. Of... He was the president of France and the Tsar of Russia. Anyway, it's they're going to bomb it. not how I thought Tsar was spelled. They're going to bomb it to, to obviously assassinate. Mm. To assassinate uh, this these fellows. And to cut a very long story short... Uh, basically, Syme attempts to try and stop this from happening and slowly discovers that each of the other members of the Anarchist Council, except Sunday, are all actually detectives Police as detectives. well. Undercover detectives. They're all undercover detectives and think that each other are anarchists and think that, he, think that they're bringing everyone else down. I just, I basically skipped over like 200 pages just then, but it's thrilling read, read it. And in the end, uh, they come to confront Sunday, who, whom they chase all over London and get taken to uh, his house, his big grand manor, where it's hard to describe what exactly happens at this point, because it's all a bit weird and well, confusing. Luke's By the way, gloss- 
it's its tagline is the man who was Thursday a nightmare, a nightmare, which is yeah. kind of like what this book is: wild, confusing, and brightly coloured and mysterious. And you're like going, is this a dream or is this real? Yeah, basically, it's it's revealed that um, each of these men are have been chosen by Sunday without them knowing it. Uh, as different philosophers who've been worked to basically attack each other because Sunday is revealed as, well, God. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, I, again, trying to go into that last chapter too deeply would be a little bit too confusing and I honestly wouldn't be able to describe it very well. But Syme wakes up from this nightmare and that's basically the end of the book. Now, of course... This is, for people who don't understand the joke, don't understand that it's a nightmare, this ending, this kind of revelation that basically the great bad guy of the book, the guy who's basically has an indifference towards whatever's good and whatever is evil. The guy that also recruited all the policemen into the anarchist hunting Mm. subsection of the police department is also is the same is Sunday. Is the same guy that he's confuses everything. All and that he's basically the most terrifyingly evil and terrifyingly good creature at the same time is basically God. Um, people who don't understand the joke here that Chesterton's trying to point out, that is obviously he doesn't believe that, would assume this to be a great atheistic text, a great text for those who who despise or who have such notions about about God. Um, but of course, G.K. Chesterton points out in later writings that this is indeed a nightmare. Uh, and that what he's actually doing is that he's pointing fun at the philosophical uh, ideas at the time who try to paint God as being like that, whether they're atheists, whether they believe in him or not. They have a kind of rage against him nonetheless. Uh, and he's attempting to try and point out the absurdity and the problem with this position. So that's 10 minutes into the episode. <laughs> and, and I tried to, I skipped over a lot to try and describe that. But but ultimately, like the beauty and the artistry in this book, you, we can't describe it. Like it's one of those things you have to experience for yourself. Like we could sit here and talk about the Sistine Chapel ceiling all night long, but unless you actually go and see it and be there and experience it, you will not understand how awesome it is. It's the same with this book, really. Like, it's just such a head trip, and it's unlike any other mystery novel you'll probably ever read. Yeah. That it's, it's you... just so, I think, so thrilling. And it's only, it's only 375 well. pages, so you should read it. It's not that long. It's fairly... I don't have it. 26 for me. Well, depending on your font size. <laughs> depending on your... Well, mine says 375 on the iPad, but, you know, I, have had no, I don't know what my excuse is. Yours was 90, Victoria. Which yeah, I but she's doing funny. two to a page. Yeah. Oh, that's true. That's true. Anyway, so I think rather than discuss the really confusing ending and the philosophy behind it and all that kind of stuff, which we could talk about for hours and hours and hours, I will instead do a shameless plug for a piece of Cradio content called The Atheist Appreciation of G.K. Chesterton by Dr. Robert Tilly. So Ooh. if you want a discussion about that element of The Man Who Was Thursday. He spends about half the talk talking about The Man Who Was Thursday because of what I spoke about before, where there was this kind of this uh, atheist misconception that this was a great atheistic book, where obviously they weren't in on the joke uh, and weren't in on <laughs> the... And it's, yeah. even, and it's even more convincing because Chesterton himself was an atheist and has been there and has know, knows it's all that. It's very Chesterton, though, because he's very much about the paradox. Yes. He's very much about that. Yes. And so that's... 
you know, that's why I guess he set it up. It's, I guess, you know, the, the spinal tap of, <laughs> of philosophy. Yes. Yeah, know, that's what I didn't quite get the joke. Yeah, and you know, and I mean, it, and in some in some ways, it's quite heavily philosophical, and in other ways, it's like, oh well, that was all what early twentieth century. When did he write this book? Nineteen twenty. Yeah, very, very early twentieth century. This is all very early twentieth century stuff. This isn't really relevant now, but the threads are. But you know, the the modern thinking that we have now all grew out of what Chesterton yeah. was writing, and so it's really important actually to kind of see that, you know. People were objecting to, have been objecting to, and have been arguing against this for a long time, and poking fun of it too in mm. Cheston's mm. very clever, subtle way, like the organised anarchists, for example. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. So I think instead, what we'll probably talk about for the remainder of this episode, I think, is what Chiara and Victoria have been alluding to, and that is, I guess, the literary quality. Just um, things we've picked any- up on, I suppose. I mean. I think all of us would feel a bit more comfortable if we, you know, researched this book for a week or something, you know, or something like. So we're not really. We both both terribly underestimated just how just how (laughs) full on this book would be. No, but even so, I feel that to really digest this book, you need lots of time, more than a fortnight. So really, what's left for us to do is just to look at the the other things that we picked up on. Maybe the not intense ending. Maybe maybe some of the um. I mean, I think, I guess probably one of the things that stuck out for me when I first read this, um, and this probably makes me sound like a bit of a, uh, very much a Gen Y bang, bang explosions kind of person. But like when we talked about how with poor Lord of the Flies, it keeps coming back to Lord <laughs> of the Flies as being the, the, the benchmark of things that Luke doesn't like. But Keep in mind, it was Luke's idea to read Lord of the Flies too. He's a sucker for punishment. <laughs> it was, it was. I'd forgotten what it was like to read. Um, is that this keep... I read this... The first time I read this, I read this from memory in two days. Um, just on the train. I don't know how I did that. Like, because it took me a lot of train rides to read this this time. So, I must have just been really engrossed in this book. And just because it keeps you hanging. And I think one of the keys there is... There's never, I guess there's never any point where it comes to um, a cliff face. I, I don't know how to describe it anything else than that. There's no point in which the book you can say, okay. I know what's going on. I'm No, no, no. As in, I'm finished reading this section of the book. I'm quite comfortable with leaving it at that and picking it up tomorrow. <laughs> yes. I don't think there's any point in the book that's like that. It just keeps going and going and going. Even mm. at the points where it's like, say, you know, there's a part where um, they're about to go to France to try and stop this bombing. And it's like, you know, you'd think, okay, ad break here. But you don't want to put it at that point there because it's like, I want to know what happens next and I want to know what happens next. And, I mean, I mentioned this to Victoria before I started talking uh, here, but there was a um, a section in where there's this great chase through through the countryside of France. And I said that, like, I felt like I pretty much bit my fingers off. You know, I have never, I've honestly never been so enthralled by a piece of literature, a movie, TV show, anything like that. And I think it really demonstrates the power of a book because I don't think this can be made into a film. Mm. Um, I think no, I could say I the think... same thing for um, when Syme is saying his big speech and putting Gregory further and further on edge in the um, 
the that the cat was, the small, that was fantastic. That was, All they were doing was talking, but it was so exciting. It was super. It was so exciting. I think someone had me in view as I was reading this, and they came over to me later and they said, "What were you reading?" Because you just <laughs> you were like clenched, but like happy, and I was like, "I was reading this book. You need to read it." Um, so I totally understand that. Chesterton is fantastic. He has a good hold of grasp of this stuff. Yeah, I just, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, just a an example uh, again that I that I read out before before we started, but an example of a paragraph that I think is just yeah, it's just such good fun to read. Is this part where there's this uh, confrontation on a beach, and um, the the, ba- the seeming bad guys at the time are marching towards them, and Syme is basically like, no, I you know I'm a defender, I'm a defender of all that is good in this world, and he has this um, this lantern which is like a church lantern, uh, a very old medieval church lantern, which he decides to use as a bit of a um, makeshift weapon at that point in time, even though he has a sword, and. He says at this Typical point, as he's, charging, <laughs> as he's charging towards uh, this mass of, of what he thinks are anarchists. Do you see this lantern? Do you see the cross carved on it and the flame inside? You did not make it. You did not light it. Better men than you, men who could believe and obey, twisted the entrails of iron and preserved the legend of fire. There is not a street you walk on. There is not a thread you wear that was not made as this lantern was. By denying your philosophy of dirt and rats, you can make nothing. You can only destroy. You will destroy mankind. You will destroy the world. Let that suffice for you. Yet this one old Christian lantern you cannot destroy. It shall go where your empire of apes will never have the wit to find it. And then he throws it into the sea and it's all, ah, it's great. (laughs) Anyway. On a slightly less thrilling note, I found, like, one of my, my... So, from what I've read, I've only read about a third of it, and my favourite paragraph is just Chesterton's ability to describe and create action at the same time and create atmosphere, and it's phenomenal. And this is just a section that I absolutely love, this paragraph here. Over the whole landscape lay a luminous and unnatural discoloration. As of that of a disastrous twilight which Milton spoke of, as shed by the sun in eclipse, so that Smyme fell easily into his first thought that he was actually on some other emptier planet, which circled some sadder star. But the more he felt this glittering desolation in the moonlit land, the more his own chivalric folly glowed in the night like a great fire. Even the common things he carried with him, the food and the brandy and the loaded pistol, took on that exact concrete and material poetry which a child feeds when he takes a, a gun upon a journey or a bun with him to bed. Like, I have no idea what's going on, but it, you know, you get the, se- the sense that the, the, the words themselves don't, you get a sense of what the words are trying to portray without understanding every word. And it's like, you know, I get an image in my head. Yeah, and it's, it's like, hard to do that in literature. To borrow, to borrow from a book that I've got at the moment, it's like painting with words. Yeah. Mm. That's what it's like. You don't need to be able to... It's like, I guess, um, uh, Impressionism. Like, if you look really close up, you know, there's all it is is a bunch of dots. All you, you know, see is brush stro- rough strokes yeah, and Yeah, but once you pain. look at the whole thing, you're not focusing in on the points. You get the whole picture. And I think he's really good at being able to do that with words. Mm. And it's it's just it's just beautiful. Like I'm just in awe most of the time, going, I've no idea what's going on. But it's got this real, it, it's surreal. 
this is a surrealist mystery, and that's mm. the only way I think I can describe it. That's a it. great word to describe. It's a surrealist mystery, and if you've ever seen a Salvador Dali painting, yes, that is very what, much like that. That is what reading this book is like. You have no idea what's going on, but somehow it makes sense. I was often thinking to myself as I read this, um, if I had a long trip to somewhere like a twenty-hour flight. Well, no, no, no. Uh, I mean, on a, in a car or something like to. Uh. Um, Broken Hill or Albury or something like that, I would love to either sit in the passenger seat and read this to whoever was driving or, you know, vice versa. This is the kind of book you would take on that sort of trip because it is enthralling and it's just... I'd love this to be read to me. I loved reading it, but I would love this to be read to me with someone with a voice like... book out there, actually. There should be, be, and if there isn't, uh, John Hurt, I think, should, like, narrate this. It would be amazing. Yes, I agree. It would just be so good. Yeah, yeah, I second that. What, not Daniel Day-Lewis? Daniel Day-Lewis should definitely... <laughs> Daniel Day-Lewis should be Smime. That would be so cool. But, Except he's not but, blonde. Yeah, no. no. Uh, in my head, I he had... He could be, though. Yeah, but he's not the right really build really. for As it. As Smime, I had, like... Daniel Day-Lewis is too big. I had, like, Sam Neill or someone in my head as Smime. 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 Only you... one M. Sime. I know, but... Smime. There we go. That's all right. Everyone knows what we're talking about. Yeah. It's good. I think. It's like when you... No, but it's like <laughs> when you read a word Sunday? for the first... Who Sunday? Hang on. Um, the guy that played Uncle Vernon in Harry Potter, though he did pass away, may he rest in peace. Um, I don't know. I, I can kind of see a more terrible, larger, more grotesque version of Ian McKellar. Yeah. As... The, image, the image that I had in my head of him was... Um, Monty no offense Python. to Ian McKellar. Oh, Mr. <laughs> Creator. That, that Monty Python oh, sketch no. about the guy who eats With all the, the wafer. Food yes, <laughs> yes. Mr. Creatso or something I like that. I don't know that, that horrible sketch from Meeting of Life oh, that made terrible. everyone want to throw up. Oh, yes. so terrible. <laughs> uh, t- but yes. That's the image I had in my head. Okay, that's interesting. One tiny wafer, Monsieur. The only problem with that is, is that that image is comical. <laughs> you need something serious. It was quite. It was quite funny in my head. It's quite um, funny. Yeah. So what else can we talk about about I, the? F- I, I think just, I could just play Doctor Robert Tilly speaking for the next eight minutes, but I mean, you know, we should probably. We'll pick out. We'll pick out some like yeah. maybe some Catholic things. Maybe I'm, that's this is, right. This is this Catholic three. This is Catholic three. Okay. Um, so what? Cat- uh, Okay, well, one thing I picked up on was um, in Chapter 4, The Tale of the Detective, it talks about uh, Syme's background and about, I suppose, how he came to be the person he is. And what I found really interesting, um, and I think lots of, um, lots of Catholics would relate to this, even though I'm so surprised Chesterton was not Catholic at this point, which is so weird because I'm reading through this and I'm thinking this is so Catholic. Anyway, he got there in the end. Um, is about how he came from this family of uh, a surrounding of people. Well, he describes them as cranks, but basically all these re- all these rebellious people. You know, uh, the uncles wouldn't wear hats, which was pretty scandalous at that point. Um, and one wore nothing but a hat. <laughs> um, uh, and you know, his mother went further and further into um, puritanism, puritanism, and vegetarianism, while his dad got so far left that he got to a point where he was almost defending cannibalism. So from this from this arena, he springs, he just has this distaste for rebellion. And it says here that, so he revolted into the only thing left, sanity. 
And I feel that like so many young Catholics would read this and think that is so true because we've seen so much. What do you mean we've seen? We're still seeing. Like you've got the the careening between, you know. If you're a uni student, particularly, you'll see like the people protesting, the the people that don't care. And it's just all this madness. And you think, is there not some shred of reason and things like that? And in my particular case, I found that was the church. And um, with Syme, he found reason and sanity and compassion and... Um, virtue. He found virtue. No, he found virtue. He and found it says virtue. here that he's Catholic. Um, right? I, uh, I think it's a bit vague. As no, to- no, no, no. Hang on. He's I'm going to find Christian. it. He's definitely I'm Christian. going to find it. It was really... Um, I just on. say at some point that we're all Catholics Very well here. said, Gregory. His face darkening. You shall see something more serious than either drink or religion. Sam stood waiting with his usual air of mildness until Gregory opened, again opened his lips. You spoke just now of having a religion. Is it really true that you have one? Oh, said Sam with a beaming smile. We are all Catholics now. I'm not particularly sure what that's meant yeah, to mean. Yeah, I don't mean, know what that means. Either. But, yeah. like, I'm assuming he's Catholic from that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm not really sure why Chesterton put that in there if he wasn't Catholic yet. Like, I, I don't know. I think he was quite fond. Or maybe he's just making a point that I don't get. Which, Which is, is entirely possible. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, hence the layers in this book. But you know, the point that the point that he was making in Symes in Symes' upbringing was that most pe- a lot of people spend a lot of time rebelling for the sake of rebelling without yeah. actually. Having you know, and just going or and the other point too, which I thought was really salient and really relevant for my life, was the extremes between his two parents. His mother was a Puritan, and his father was the entire opposite. And that is the two human tendencies, particularly when it comes to things like sexuality, in a sense that, and whereas the Catholic way is the middle road. We don't, you know, sexuality is not necessarily to be repressed. It's not bad. You don't repress it. But at the same time, you don't go and indulge it either because you've got to bring those desires into your whole sort of, your whole person. And it's, and that's what, and that, and the only way to do that is by virtue, which is what Syme discovers, um, and you know, use, you know, uses to construct, you know, construct sanity, mm. and to bring a semblance of common sense into his own life. And I mean, that's just all in like one tiny little bit of the story, and you can pull a whole lot of great stuff around virtue ethics and cool stuff like that out of it. Yeah, yeah. Um. All right, we have. Two minutes and... I have, I have another point. Left. I have another point. <laughs> um, in, early on in the book, and, you know, seriously, if you got the book now and read for the next five minutes, you will come across the point that I'm talking about. And it's the rap battle that um, Luke <laughs> alluded rap. to. The poet battle. The poet battle uh, between Gregory and um, Syme. And basically, Gregory's talking about how anarchy is very similar to art, and the anarchist is the artist. And he said, if order was the most beautiful thing around, that then the underground railway would be like, um, what does he say? The most poetical thing, poetical thing the in the world would be the underground railway. And Mr. Syme Syme says, you know, so it is. And Gregory says, you know, nonsense, blah, blah, blah. You know, all these people get on a train every day and they look so drawn because they get on at whatever stop and they know that the next stop is going to be uh, Victoria. What, what I also liked about this is that my name was said, was written down about 50 times <laughs> on this page. <laughs> Not at all self-centered. And um, 
whatever happens, you know, the next stop is going to be Victoria and they can't change anything about that and their life is crap and this and that and, you know, what are we going to do about it? And then Syme goes into this big spiel and he says, no, 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 um, it is not um, unpoetical at all. It is very poetic. Um, it is a triumph against chaos. Um, it is a small triumph of man every time the train does get to the uh, Victoria Station instead and no other Baghdad. station. <laughs> instead of Baghdad, he writes that. And he says, a train could go anywhere in the world. Um, and yet, through precise um, mechanisms and planning and order, it gets there. It is a small miracle every time. And when I read this, I thought of um, there is an article um, by Mark Barnes, Bad Catholic, about entropy and about how um, the whole world naturally sort of, I suppose, is falling into chaos. Like if we look at the solar system or whatever, it's going to implode on itself one day. So if you're an a nihilist, you'll just go with the flow. You'll be kind of like complacent, I suppose. But the real rebels of this world are those that fight against chaos. Um, and, you know, even having good posture is rebellious because you're against the entropy of the body. Um, and this is something that C.S. Lewis talks about in, I think he talks about in Screw Tape Letters. He talks about how to get to someone's soul, get them to slouch when they pray. Because even that small thing, is getting them to be complacent to entropy and to defeat. Um, so anyway, check out the article. What's it called? It was on the oh, computer the before. Uh, yeah, I had it. I had it. Where is it? I had to it Google is. it because I didn't know the name of the article. It is instead of. It's from a long time ago as well. Instead, I've just got. Uh, I think it was called something, something like "Better Than This." Uh, was, better than nothing. Better than nothing by uh, yeah. So check that one out because it just talks about how Catholics are massive rebels because we rebel against entropy yeah. and chaos Ultimate with rebellion. order. Yeah, <laughs> ne- next take time, that, chaos. Next time we complain <laughs> about being on the train and it, like, you know... Yeah, like, <laughs> me, to- <laughs> like me tonight being stuck on the train because the signals it broke down, but it got through. But it got there. Yeah, it got small there. miracle, humans succeed. We, we, we triumph we, against yeah. chaos once more. Yes, that's right. Take that. Yeah. Okay. And that's all we've got time for. Uh, so, we managed to... I mean, it's it would it often felt like we didn't have much to talk about, but I think the reason why we didn't have much to talk about it's is because we, there's so the, much to talk about. There's so much about. that in the end you either talk about nothing or all of it. Yeah. And, and so, we'll be here for a week. And we just kind of awkwardly danced between the two extremes, <laughs> I suppose. Which is a great metaphor for life here on Earth, quite <laughs> frankly. It's because a great metaphor for Cheston's writing. Uh, the, paradoxical paradoxical. De- the paradoxical dance but, between extremes. But you know what? The, the bottom line is that it was an absolute pleasure to read well, what I read of it. Yeah. A- an absolute you pleasure. You will read all of it, though. Yeah. I, w- I, I, I really it. will. I'm going to read it, to, like, finish it tonight. It was fantastic, what I've had for it. It's, yeah, although it will hurt your head and you'll be wondering what on earth that last chapter was about. But <laughs> You know what other book did that? The what Last Battle. The Last Battle. Yeah, C.S. Lewis's final okay. Chronicle of Narnia. That hurt my head. Hmm. You've never yeah. read The Last I Battle? Have, no, no. I uh, well, I, well, from your description, it sounds exactly like The Last Battle. The whole book hurt maybe my head, quite maybe frankly. You stole it. <laughs> well, C.S. Lewis wrote it much later than yeah. Chesterton. They missed each other. They did. Yeah, yeah. No, no, unfortunately, yeah. I mean, they should. Have, they would have been best buds. Well, I mean, Tolkien yeah. and they, they were Lewis they were figuratively made up for that. best buds in the sense that <laughs> I'm sure C.S. Lewis loved Chesterton. And that's, I think, where we'll leave it. So next 
next time on Catholics Read, if we can manage to find a copy of it, we are going to be reading Leaf by Niggle. Uh, which is a talk. A talk? It's not a talk. It's a I'm just so used to being in this spot <laughs> in the studio and being like, a talk by Dr. Robert Tilly or something like that. <laughs> um, a book by Tolkien. A book <laughs> by Tolkien. J-R-I called. Tolkien. That's in Italian. Uh, Leaf <laughs> by Nickel. <laughs> so I'm just looking on the Wikipedia page and the picture that it's got is the Italian cover for some reason. And yeah, so we'll be reading that. And I have no idea what it is, uh, but Kiara's recommended it. It's an it's a story about it's it's it, it was published in with Tolkien's collection called On Fairy Stories. So it's one of his. It's an allegorical story, and it's supposedly <sighs> I know. By the way, just in case you didn't know, Tolkien hated allegory. It's one of the things that he made fun of C.S. Lewis for all the time because C.S. Lewis wrote nothing but allegory, and Tolkien was like, "Oh, that's a stupid." technique to use it assumes the reader is stupid and um so Tolkien wrote one just to say he could <laughs> and we're going to read it and we're going to read it and um it's apparently an allegory of the cre- Tolkien's creative process okay um which should be interesting um that will be interesting and we'll, we'll learn something yes well maybe we'll learn something instead of just maybe. being totally befuddled as per yeah. usual that'll be a difference from this week <laughs> Maybe last week. All right. Well, that's it for from us. Uh, we're now going to be catching our trains and hoping that they that, arrive at the said station. We are. Yeah. Are It'll be very. Out. We will be taking part in poetry. Yes. Which will be fantastic. <laughs> uh, so read the man who was Thursday, a nightmare. Listen to Doctor Ottilie's an atheist to preach. He's not an atheist, by the way. He's talking about the irony of how atheists like Chesterton, mm-hmm. but an atheist appreciation of. G.K. Chesterton. Uh, Read the Mar- uh, the Mark Barnes article. Yes, in Bad Catholic. The thing about uh, better than nothing. Do all that. You all have lots of homework this week, <laughs> and we'll see you next time with Leaf by Niggle. Yes, that is the one. That's the one. All right. Bye. Bye. That was an episode of Catholics Read from Cradio.org.au. 